Hello and welcome to the FSF Podcast Live Edition. Hello and welcome, kids and cadets, to the FSF Podcast Live Edition. This, of course, is a special time that we're coming on. Typically, we come on at 7 o'clock, but tonight we're starting at 8 so that we can make sure that we could get our guests in tonight, and we are very excited to have them, of course. Uh, but we want to remind you that the FSF Podcast is the show that rolled for initiative on their interviewing skills and got a 2. Pretty sure last time was a 1, wasn't it? it was. But we got better. We got better. That's right. We got better. We got better. Uh, Before we get into tonight's show, uh, we need to say thanks to our show partners, Level Up Sabres and Monkey Cult Coffee. All right. I don't know which video is first, so let's watch videos. That's one. That's coffee. That's one. I wanted to surprise you which one it was because, you know, we hadn't really talked about it. But here's number two. I do have to say, though, Tim, I'm a little bit disappointed that you did do mon- monkey co- coffee first because you could have done coffee and then number two and made a really great joke, but you didn't. You missed out. Next time. There's always, There's next, always time. next time. There's always that, next time. There's always next time. And now that I've thought about it, I'm actually kind of sad. <laughs> I, had a I great knew opportunity. I would disappoint you when you realized that you missed out on a poop joke. I had great opportunity for bathroom humor, and somehow I just slid right on by it. So... <laughs> Well, hopefully not on it, but uh, there's that. As long okay. As in it, and then you know, not not notice that you stepped in it and track it around the entire we're house. No, we're not. I mean, not I've never place. known anybody who stepped in poop and didn't realize it and tracked it through the entire house. I don't have. No, to. no, no. What's worse is having one of your animals do it in the house and then have the Roomba automatically go off. Oh gosh, yeah, my sister's my sister's Roomba's done that. Anyway, it's not fun. Anyway, links. There are links for for both of our amazing sponsors in the show notes comments section before our guests realize what they've gotten themselves into and decide to leave. Exactly. One of them's been here before, so they they know. Two of them have been there before. Two of them have been here before. Two of them. Two of them. Ben's the new guy. Ben's the new guy. Exactly. All right. So I want to remind you guys that uh, if you're watching on YouTube, go ahead and click subscribe because that is going to give us the opportunity to share more awesome live shows with you and weekly interviews that come out every Friday morning. And in case you haven't seen it, we also have a Patreon page where you can join us at patreon.com forward slash FSF podcast. You can go there and catch all the behind the scenes stuff and you guys can uh, get a lot of cool stuff. Um, yeah, just Patreon's a place to go. We've got five different levels of, of, of membership there. You can from $1 to $40 and each one of them has gradual perks and opportunities for loot and 
all that kind of fun stuff. And uh, another former guest checking in, Rena Freeman Watts. Hello, Rena. Hey. Glad, glad you could catch us over on the LinkedIn. Uh, but yeah, so we've got some really awesome guests uh, waiting for us in the wings. Very excited to have them. Now, a couple of them uh, you've seen on our show before. Uh, and we have, we're going to first bring in uh, the new guy because, well, he's new to us, but not new to you. He is John Peterson. Hello, John. Oh, hi. So glad to be here. Wow. What have I gotten myself into? I, I am now wondering, just sitting in the green room, what have I gotten myself into? Wonderful stories for a therapist. So like <laughs> the monkey cult thing. So it's coffee or is it bourbon or is it, it's coffee, but there's it's, like. Right. They have, so right now they have two flavored uh, versions of their coffee. They've got a, the, the uh, bourbon chocolate chip, which is my favorite. It's, if you're a bourbon fan, it's got enough bourbon flavoring without being overbearing. And it's got just a hint of chocolate to it. So it's perfect. Um, and then the, I'm not a big rum or coconut fan, but actually the, the toasted coconut rum is actually pretty darn good too. So yeah, so check that out. Have um, they considered making the bourbon, but it is overbearing? Because I, I might actually be into that. <laughs> I'll bring it up. with I'll, a single coffee bean in it? Well, you know. No, it's like, the, it's, it's like the LaCroix drinks where it's pretty much the, somebody just whispered the fruit flavor in the other room. I'll, I'll, uh. I'll bring that up at our, our next partner meeting. So please do. All right, we'll do. Say John Peterson recommended this, and I'm by golly, I think it's a good idea. I just want like bourbon flavored coffee beans. All right. And the next couple of guys who are waiting in the wings are our returning guests who have been here before. Uh, we're very excited and happy to bring back Sam Whitwer and Kyle Newman. Hello. Kyle. Kyle. Oh my God, Kyle. I you just see the spinning wheel of death. Kyle, it's Kyle. No, you're it, too young. Exists, but well, I was watching in the in the, you know his image in the background in the green room. Like you guys, you were gonna move. There he goes. He'll be back in a minute. So yeah, he'll be back. Uh, but yeah, he, he was stuck. I thought he was just like busy there reading an email for a moment. I'm like, oh, he's reading. It'll be fine. Apparently not. He's a busy guy, actually. Kyle is. That's right. <laughs> he was so young and had so much so much hope, so much life ahead of him. All right. So, hey, guys, let's uh, let's go ahead and get started. When Kyle gets here, we'll just bring him right back in. And uh, so very, very grateful to have you both here tonight. Now, our John, our producer, who's in the yellow shirt, yellow shirt, John, uh, has there you go. Uh, and then we've and then we've got black sweater, John. So that way we can we can uh, differentiate. Now, uh, by the way, your John. Hey, thank yeah. you for for displaying saga edition and revised core rules behind you man i appreciate that thank you oh yeah i've been playing that since early 90s wait wait wait. what that wasn't called revised core rules what was that called? it was just called uh, the start uh, of game west end games came out with the w was the first one that had the color printing right, and that was right. a big deal back then for role-playing game books but wow. then um yeah there it is what do they call that just the this is second edition revised and expanded Second edition, right, right. Revised Core Rules was Wizards of the Coast after that, before right. Saga Edition. Thank you yeah. very much. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. No Isn't, uh, well, the, the the one that's in the front there, John, that's the book that we play out of, right? On our, yes. game, our monthly game? Yeah. yeah. Nice. So, nice. so the second Monday of every month, we, we play a Star Wars RPG. And uh, so that's what actually got me interested. And it was kind of like my gateway into RPGs. Because before that game, I had never played. I had never you know, as a kid, never sat down and played D&D. &D. So mm -hmm. it was my it was my gateway drug. It, was, it only takes one. 
So yeah. You grew up deprived, is one. what I'm hearing. You didn't, yeah. you know, in a situation of total deprivation. I'm so sorry. In rural Michigan, it happens. <laughs> You're probably not wrong on that. Uh, most of my friends, when I was growing up, thought role-playing games were for for nerds. Was like, was like, yeah, that's what I am. Uh, and so they didn't want to play with me. They were more interested in going hunting, fishing, that kind of stuff. So, but rural Michigan, that that's like hotspot D and D. I mean, that's you know the the home of one of the most famous people in D and D history. Like, you know, at least it's where I went to college, Mr. James Dallas Egbert III, right? He was My. in wow. East Lansing, Michigan. Yes, he yeah. was. No. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was the Tim had never played. And I'm like, you know what, guys? We should stream a game and introduce Tim to the game. And then we bought Tim his very first set of dice, too. Mm -hmm. It was very <laughs> Got him dice. Got him a oh, little. It was a special uh, moment for all of us. It It's so great. So I play a B2 battle droid. And uh, Tim, who, who are you? I'm a uh, heavy clone trooper that's gone MIA. Oh, you guys get along fine then. Oh, it's so oh, great. We're bestest of friends. Okay, but the battle droid is also wearing parachute pants and a pirate hat. A pirate hat, yeah. It's a very serious My name, name is Scurvy. Nice. S-C-R-V. Parachute pants. I miss parachute pants. I remember wearing parachute pants when I was like 10 and there we were at a, I guess like a tennis club or something like that. And I, I, someone, I guess I fell into the hot tub. Don't ask me why I it was, there was a hot tub in the sort of bathroom or locker room area and the parachute pants, uh, held the air inside. So my, my legs just went, oh, yeah. Uh, Wait, a giant hand has appeared in place of Kyle. Oh, no, it's actually. Oh, Kyle. my God, it's Kyle. <laughs> it's a random Kyle sighting. Hello, Kyle. Right. What's up, Kyle? Hello. Can you guys hear me okay? Yeah, in. just fine. Excellent. Absolutely. Yeah, just I was fine. watching everybody in the in the in the green room. And then suddenly, as soon as it was, it was uh, time to introduce us, it just chrome just cracked. <laughs> it just could not handle the amount of awesome that is happening over here. It just could not. Look at this display. Look at this gathering. Wow. Thanks for having us on. Sorry, I'm late. Yeah. No, no. Hey, you're you're right on time. Sam was telling a story. So we were. Oh, yeah, yeah. Just to say that parachute parachute pants um, were more <laughs> airtight than you thought they were, you know, so that I'm sure that if I was skydiving in parachute pants, they'd look amazing. If you put them in a situation where the air needs to be trapped inside, they, they kind of balloon up. So I'm assuming... That if you were on the International Space Station wearing parachute pants and they jettisoned you out the airlock, it would probably look amazing. You would look like you would look like MC Hammer, too legit to to have a decaying orbit. It would be amazing. It, I think you'd it'd like be it. like putting a straw in a bag of Lay's chips. There's just enough air in there yeah. for like a few hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think there is definitely a survival horror space game that where parachute pants keeps you alive. Well, for a few crap, minutes John's more. taking notes. No, no, no. He's also our he's also our, our GM, so we really don't, you know, he's our game master. We really don't need it, him uh getting extra extra hints here, Sam. It, yeah, it no is problem. funny because whenever I fail like a stealth check, I always blame it on the of the parachute pants. They did make that sound. They totally made that sound. Yeah. <laughs> that or corduroy we we're gonna be your dead giveaways. So yep. yeah, but the parachute pants, corduroys corduroys were never cool. The parachute pants, though, back in the eighties, there was like, dude, you're look, not hey, wrong. Someone walked in with parachute pants. That person should be paid attention to. That's a cool, cool. Typically, right typically with the droids parachute pants, though, we are just using them for um, smuggling. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, you can smuggle oxygen inside them. Yeah. Okay. True. <laughs> you can smuggle. Oh. Uh, you can smuggle aerodynamic drag in them. It's, it's really good. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, geez. Uh, so should we? We should call the rest stream. of our party though, because I feel like I feel like the rest of our party needs to be appreciated as well. Like, you want to talk about Edna? <laughs> I, I don't want to talk about Edna. The no. Golden Doodle Wookiee? Yes, Edna, the Golden Doodle Noble Wookiee, who is the money in the face of the operation. <laughs> but is the also. Charisma been, of the entire group. But, but is also traveling under the. pretending that she's a slave to the Trandoshan when she's not. <laughs> but she's using it as her, like, get out of jail free card. I like how Sam's eyebrows immediately go up with that, and you're like. <laughs> <laughs> Yep. <laughs> He's like, yeah, I don't know how I know that works. What they're saying. I know what they're saying. I get what they're saying. So, <laughs> oh, I've, I, I know you know. That's, that's not a problem. And then, John, right. what about Udex? Udex is, um, he's actually from another podcast called Growing Up Skywalker, um, played by our friend Sam. Udex is like a, he's a, a fringer scout character with levels in tech specialists and a couple of other things. I haven't checked his character sheet in a while. I should probably do that. Um, but he fixes everything when he's not busy crashing swoops. Exactly. Fun guy. All right. So funny because I think I have a higher mechanics and use computer check than him. But he's always possible. the first one there jamming a screwdriver into something. <laughs> oh, we lost Kyle again. Bye, Kyle. He's gone. He's, he's gone. back. Oh, there he's we back. go. Okay. Yay. He's back again. All right. So now that we, while we have all three of you on the screen and before For Kyle TV. goes away again. Uh, <laughs> let's talk about your guys' book and the reason why you guys are here tonight. So you have a brand new book that's come out for D&D called Lore and Legends, which John is uh, holding up there. Our John, yellow shirt John. And uh, so we're, Gosh. So, John. Yeah, this, so these are, these are the books that we're talking about. We've got Lore and Legends. And also, uh, I've been checking it out on Amazon. You guys have the... The, this really super cool uh, collector's edition, the the black cover, the black and gold there, which yeah, I was that's like, wow, the that's... One, that's the one I pre-ordered and I'm waiting for it. Yeah, it's you it's are pretty the man. Yeah, it's a good book. That's coming November 28th. That yeah. one okay. is um, what's great about that one is it's everything in the original book, just like we did with Art and Arcana. There was a special edition. Uh, this one's got a, a slide out dice tray. It's a slip case. It has different art on the outside it has different art on the book cover itself inside by a DD famed artist hydro 74 it's got a commemorative dice which is only available in the set it's just this golden glitter DD icon dice and it has what everybody wants is this full map of 5e Faerun, which indicates via icons where all of the key adventures and, and events kind of took place so if you've played through everything since 2014 you're going to be able to track the um the locations and where the hotspots are on the uh, on the planet, so that that's and it actually captures some other areas beyond, which is cool. So that's an awesome set if you have the the money and you're you're like a completist. That that's definitely the one to to pick up. But you can't go wrong with with either and a Barnes and Noble version too. Which if you're into chasing other covers, Barnes and Noble has one out as well with an alternate cover, different colors and. Um, so we give you options, just like, uh, just just for collectors. 
I, oh, I heard about cool. the Barnes and Noble edition, and I was immediately sad about it because my wife used to work at Barnes and Noble, so I could have gotten that on discount. But she doesn't work there anymore. Kyle and I hit a, a couple of Barnes and Noble here in LA. We, we hit the Burbank one and the um, what was it, the Americana and Glendale one, yep. and we signed copies and put them in the shelf with After the knowledge of the it. show. So I went to yeah, Studio we City and signed some more, and they said, "Did You're you really come by there?" Yeah, and. And um, we do have um, we have Lauren Legends now, but we have another book coming November seventh, and I'm sure Sam and I will try and drive around. And John is going to be in town. Yeah. Oh no, John won't be in town for that. But Michael, will, will, Sam's brother, will be. So we're going to drive around and hit some more Barnes and Noble. We like to sign and, copies and put them at the stores to, to have people. Go just, out they put little stickers on them. Author signed. They do put a sticker that says the author signed it, right? So this isn't. We're going to do that too if you're in the LA area and you're hot for That's some. That's very of these cool. Books. Be on the lookout. And you're you're talking about the new Heroes Feast book, correct? Yeah. That one's November seventh. Yeah. Can I? So I know this. This is my whole thing. I went to culinary school. I was a cook for many years. I have literally made every recipe in the first book. I heard about awesome. the new Heroes Feast, and I was immediately like, "I'm getting it." There, there's no. The moment I found out about it, I'm like pre-order. So you know, that's amazing. So let's excited. break some more news. There's going to be a Heroes Feast cooking show coming November. So for people who love D&D and cooking and they want to expand upon everything that's in the Heroes Feast, you're going to be sampling some recipes from Heroes Feast too. And we may or may not be guests, John and Michael and I, since it's based on the first one. And I'm sure if we do more, Sam's going to be in the second season. Um <laughs> It's a uh, it's twenty episodes, one hour long, and wow. if you love D and D and cooking, that's the show for you. I that will awesome. have my face glued to the screen that entire time. So thank you for that. Yay! Where can we watch this? Because I'm also going to now make the kid watch it. I'm gonna make a note on where this is. So what are the still, details? It's still TBD, I think. Uh, it's still to be oh, announced okay. where it'll be aired, but it's coming soon, right? Okay. Yeah. Our five-year-old is currently on a cooking show kick, and so if I can get her to watch a D and D based cooking show, I'm going to. I can only it's watch. Only, I can only watch Is It Cake so many times. It's really <laughs> fun. It's really fun. It, there's not as much mystery as Is It Cake. Um, and it's not as good as that cutting open that um, the Peruvian alien Is It Cake, but um, it's pretty good. So, Anna, as soon as we get any more information or things, we'll make sure that we post that on our socials and we'll include that later if and when we get that. So just And stay welcome tuned. to our live show, Anna. Yes, Anna. Welcome. So, uh, yes, yeah, so let's talk about let's talk about Lord Legends. Now, this, of course, is a Dungeons and Dragons themed book. And and this is not the first one that you guys have written together. Uh, there was also Art and Arcana, um, you know, of course, the Heroes Feast. And but so what was the inspiration for this book? for lore and legends. How did this one come about? John, you want to take that? Sure. I mean, it came pretty organically out of Art and Arcana, actually. I mean, so we did this book and, you know, we could go into our whole backstory of how the Avengers assembled around this, right? But I mean, from my perspective, I'm just like a D&D history geek. And it was Kyle and Mike and Sam who invited me to come in and help do some research and put it together. But when it came out, like it turned out people were super interested in like the history of the brand. We were kind of looking back at 40, 45 years then in 2018. And, you know, we obviously there was some interest in us doing 
future projects with Ten Speed Press, who's a part of Penguin Random House, who put out Art and Arcana. And one of the things that came out of that was, of course, the first Heroes Feast. But you know, there was also this notion: hey, we should look at the what happened, like that. You know, since 2014, how did this going on 50-year-old brand in our digital era? suddenly become this massive phenomena larger than it ever was at what previously would its peak was its peak in the 1980s and like what were the factors that led to it becoming as big as it was and along the way doesn't it look great too and shouldn't we like feature all these new visuals that had come out since really the the window closed in us for Narcana in like 2017 so you know we wanted to kind of capture the the 5e era this like, you know, 2014 to present era. And that's what we set out to do. And unfortunately, due to COVID and supply chain problems and everything else, it ended up being like a little later coming out than we originally thought it would. But think about it like it, it really started, you know, basically after Art and Arcana came out from an interest in doing that incredible story of why it is that this brand got as big as it did um, in the late 2010s. We were able to cover everything kind of just barely up to Morden Kanan's Tome of Foes. I think that was the early art we got at the end of um, Art and Arcana. And there was no perspective yet on 5e, and the phenomenon was still kind of unfolding. So looking at this book over the past couple of years, especially considering you know that they're about to enter a new phase in 2024, there's a major anniversary, um, it felt like also the perfect time, and we had some perspective, enough perspective on it where we could then um make some make some observations and some you know decisions about what we think were the contributing factors and it's not just one thing that's that's the interesting thing about this it's not just that they put out a tremendous rule set that was reverent to the past it's not just that it was built upon the feedback of hundreds of thousands of fans it's that there was these intersecting things going on in pop culture and in gaming and you know the past 20 something years you've seen harry potter lord of the rings game of thrones fantasy is everywhere fantasy dominates mm -hmm. the award shows and so everything that was taboo or weird or nerdy was suddenly mainstream and so people had the vernacular they had the interest the demystification of dnd there's a lot of taboos and misinformation about it and it seemed complicated it's math based it's very literary based it requires performance there's a lot of things which are roadblocks for people and suddenly you go wait you just get around with friends and tell a story well, that mm -hmm. sounds awesome you know it's like if you like charades if you like storytelling and reading if you like fantasy if you like board games if you like tabletop all these things kind of contribute into one you know strange new form of of entertainment and it brings people around a table you know and it creates little families and if you if you know it's like it's getting together with your friends it's like if you're into fantasy football but you're also into like you know a game night it's like kind of like all the same and now there's these tools like dnd beyond and digital ways to play and also then flourished through the pandemic because you weren't impeded from playing it actually allowed you to play in a new way with these digital tool sets and virtual maps and things like that so people could like meet online and still keep it going so there were so many interesting things then you've got stranger things and rick and morty and all these other things talking about dnd which then put it on a pedestal so all that's just started to develop over the past you know few years and so the book really explores all of those things so it's not just saying you know it, it did it because it's a good game set it really was 
all these magical things happening in the zeitgeist that made this thing a phenomenon. Analog game really successful in the digital era. And people just want to put their pens down. I mean, their phones down and pick up a pencil and get together. So, Yeah, I think that when we, you know, looking at it from now, we play a Star Wars RPG. But when awesome. we play, I think it's, you know, we, we, we average about two and a half, three hours uh, each time we sit down. And I don't think other than messaging between us, you know, I don't think I have my phone in my hand for any of it because I'm too busy talking with my friends and, and doing things with my friends. And and it's it's well more of a, a like like you were just saying, it's well more of a, a community based game and, and getting together with friends than I ever thought it was that I ever gave it credit for. Uh, just because of the way that I grew up and who I grew up around and, and all these different things. So I never participated uh, in any type of RPG. So for me, this was great, you know, because, uh, and you know, an RPG to me up until this point was like, you know, Final Fantasy. That was like, you want to play an RPG? Sure, I got Final Fantasy. We can do that. Yeah, let's do it. So. It, yeah. It's also great how, like, accessible D&D has become and how just widespread it is. I mean, one of my regular games that I played during the pandemic was between me and my wife in Florida, a friend of ours in New York, another friend in Georgia, and someone in England. <laughs> and we were all different. Like, most of us were different lives, different jobs. Everything was crazy. But then once, every Friday, we came together, and we just hung out and had fun. For the most part, people were on their phones just to use D&D Beyond, but there was no, like... I I was the DM for that and I specifically remember like looking over the screen and going oh people are actually looking at me they're paying mm -hmm. attention they're doing things because yeah. even if they're not immediately in the scene they're all engaged cuz it's just fun yeah and John always talks about like the, these books having to work with the sound off. And that's something we were really proud of. And we spend a lot of time collectively. We get our, together like a think tank and we really curate because there's tons of art out there. It's more than you would imagine. This book has over 900 images in it. And we're talking about we have to go through tens of thousands of images more to cull it down and then look at all the ways it touched upon popular culture and pick the right ones mm -hmm. to indicate Here's where it got on, you know, it's on community. It's Big Bang Theory and it's William Shatner's playing, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Kevin Smith. And then they got David Harbour from Stranger Things and Jack Black playing on the D&D stream. And you're like, then you've got critical role phenomena. It's it's all these things and you have to like curate it and tell the story. And we really think tank it through and try to make it intelligent so you could look at, understand how it's unfolding, the drama of it, the ups and downs, and uh, without even reading a word. But also the story itself is really fascinating too so it has like a dual purpose um you know when you're when you're going through the book but even as a player even as a dm you know i played almost every adventure in 5e but you're not privy to seeing all the art you maybe you're, you don't go down that road maybe you don't go in that building you don't reach that basement or that dungeon and even if you do you don't see all the art you don't see all the characters and even if you're a dm your players don't even take you there and even if you have the time you can't play everything this book collects the phenomenon into these 416 pages and distills it down to like these, you know, each book gets its moment. Like it's a theatrical release. That's how they released it. And that's what was the different. artwork is so impressive that, that I think for the first time players can really appreciate um, how lacking their dungeon master is at describing these extraordinary worlds. Because, <laughs> because let's be Thanks. As it's forever DM. Yeah. For the no. most part. And, I, and I'm a DM. I'm, I'm pretty good with that stuff. Uh, but I wave my hands around a lot, and that makes it more exciting. 
um, when you wave your hands. Yeah, exactly. Um, but now for the first time, you can actually see what the hell they were talking about mm -hmm. and see that they really didn't do it justice. It was funny as I actually, I've gotten my hands on the book once, like John got it Friday in the mail and he's like, Hey, so look what I got in the mail. And I grabbed it and I ran off with it. And he practically tackled me to get it back with the, no, you can't have this. It's mine. I'm like, but I want to look at it. D and D it really is about trying to exclude people from enjoying things. It it's really very important. It's so funny though, is that he's been sitting in the corner of our living room, looking through it and then giggling. And I'm like, what? He goes, there's a SpongeBob picture. I'm like, what? Yeah. But it's uh -huh. Beth. It's best to deprive someone of what, you know, of it when they're enjoying it the most. That's when you have to strike and take mm -hmm. it. Now, what I got out of all of that was uh, something I can use in future interviews. I'll be waving my hands around a little more wildly, and yeah. I'm going to tell everybody that Sam Whitworth told me to. So you, uh, you told me to stop doing that. <laughs> I did you tell you to told, stop doing that. You told me to stop doing <laughs> that. No, as a filmmaker, you spend more time pitching. Then you do making anything. Your life is 95% rejection. But so you have to go and gesticulate and animate mm -hmm. and get people's sure. attention and pretend you know what you're talking about and PT Barnum the hell out of it. So you do use your hands <laughs> long. Yeah. And it is a skill dungeon masters can get attention. You know, you gotta snap your fingers and tell somebody to get out of their fantasy draft and you know. That's right. But that that, and, that too is that's a big part of the story of legends and lore of lore and legends. Legends and lore, lore and legends, legend and lore. We can never keep it straight. This, <laughs> as we were developing it, the name of this project changed like 50 times. The book is mm -hmm. in fact called Lore and Legends. But a big part of the story of Lore and Legends is how many creatives who went on to work in Hollywood, who went on to work in technology, went on to work in like all of these amazing spheres of nerddom that now rule the world, you know, grew up with role playing, grew up with D&D &D and kind mm -hmm. of learned the craft of storytelling as, you know, Sam could tell you about growing up with his brother and being a DM and look where that's put both of them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah uh, he, quick. He just said, yeah, quick, that, that's it. Sure. Told exactly. Quick question here from one of our viewers. So I'd love to hear about the role that uh, evil AR art is having on RPGs. I like that GMs can show you more of what's in his or her head. Well, AI is a tool. It's Wait, not evil, evil AI, AI or because an evil AI oh, is a great different AI. art than a good AI. Are you talking about Roku's Basilisk? No, evil AI is it's a tool. We can use it incorrectly or correctly. Um, sure. In in the world of art, I know it's threatening, but uh, to get philosophical, I think technology, each layer of technology that we achieve is just the culmination of what we've dreamed and willed to happen. Star Trek gave us a vision of what you could have a tricorder in your pocket and then we will manifest it, make it happen. Um, we can't be Luddites about it, but we do have to harness it in an intelligent way. I don't think it can replace the artist. And D&D, &D, there was a little, you know, it thing about it. One of the books, an artist used AI to enhance a piece of art. And um, I know the official you know, company took a stance, was like, we're not going to do that anymore. They want it handmade. And that's okay. a, it's a good stance. The same thing, it's invading film. And they, obviously, there's a strike going on, film actors, film writers, um, film directors all had their issues with the the studios and how that can infringe upon the storytelling process. Who's doing the writing? The computer is that intellectual property. What happens when computer generates the art? And a lot of you know, D and D art, you could type it in and go, you've got a Sarah and he's, you know, towering over this innocent victim on the floor about to disintegrate him and blah, blah, blah. And then you'd spit out a piece of art. But do you want that? Or do you want the Tyler Jacobson version? Or do you want, you know, some other exciting artist? I don't know. 
it could be a tool if you're a DM and you need to whip up something fast, but I want to show this town I homebrewed and show my fans what it looks like. And it's got every building's upside down and there's, you know, lizard people with pink, you know, scales and you want to whip that out and you don't have time to hire an artist. I'm sure there's a tool for that if you want the visual. Um, D, I don't see D&D letting that infringe upon their official um, published art. And I think that's something they're very, you know, serious about and the fan community has kind of spoken about that so i'm not sure what they want to know about it but ai is dangerous but i don't think it's inherently evil okay i think that's fair right i don't know if you want to argue me let's go i don't know um no I, I, think that's a, I think that's a fair argument i think anything any tool uh in the wrong hands is a dangerous tool it's all on how you use it how you approach it the internet can be dangerous if you use it wrong so i mean this is just something else that's part of the internet and Drugs can be tool. bad if you use them wrong. Right. So, Funny you know. Right. So, yeah, Drugs, are, Drugs won't, yeah, no, no, no. Everyone knows that, that, that if you use them right, uh, it's great. Yeah. Mm -hmm. it's fantastic. I'm pretty sure it's an old blacksmith saying that the same hammer that forges the steel can break the bone. Can I hear a whole? I, I'm, I, listen, I'm, I'm sitting here giving a bunch of flip answers. I, I, I'm going to point out that, like, there are a lot of artists around there who make extraordinary images. And you'd be surprised when you reach out and say, Hey, I'd like to commission you and pay you this much money to give me a few images or some concepts of this and that. That I think is really satisfying. I've done that on several mm -hmm. occasions for my RPGs. I've, I've hired artists and no, I don't do drugs. And, uh, and, <laughs> <laughs> but I have hired artists and I, I think that's the way to do it. I think, you know, there's something personal about this whole thing and you don't want to strip out too much of the personality out of the personal. That's, that's my personal take on that. And I've worked with a lot of tools that one would call AI. I'm fascinated by the possibilities, but at the heart of it, at the beating heart of it, you got to have uh, human beings in command of artistic expression. I think, you know, so personally i welcome our ai overlords i mean it's true they, they they can't do worse than we have well you know here's the other here's the thing is like you know there's some talk of like could you get an ai dungeon master to which i would respond i'll replace my players with ais i will get an ai for each player and then i no longer have to deal with players anymore and i can play you know dnd &D the way that it should be played the easiest yeah. scheduling ever but that's yeah, right sure well, that's just trying to balder <laughs> I think it really is Aldrich Gate 3. There's a lot of fear. That's the thing. There's a lot of fear around something because it is has so much potential. And there is with with the all the incredible upside to it, like predictive cancer three years in advance, things like that. Um, how it can, you know, solve stock market conundrums and you can make all these, you know, financial conjectures. There's you can trick a whole country into thinking, you know, media is real. There's a lot of danger with it. And that's why there's fear. And people are really good letting and i think we have to be a little fearful in order to project and anticipate what it could do to us in order to create some basic parameters but it's not like it's not a genie you're putting back in the bottle no it is going to infiltrate every facet of every business all economy um i don't think you're going to be seeing like ai judges making determinations but it's going to be contributing to doctors and healthcare and predictive medicine you're going to be seeing it um, I, I know it's already infiltrated a lot of, you know, storytelling. People will use chat GPT to break story. I'm sure it's going to be like, there's going to be a chat GPT built like 
RPGs that uh, the you know the, the stories and the permutations are expressed based on what the computer has written down. There's going to be interest and a place for it, um, but again, it's it's about how we also regulate it in a sane way and not just a pure fearful way because it is just uh, another tool in the arsenal of storytellers or game designers. Eh, fair enough. I think those are all good answers. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so let's get let's get back to your book here for uh, a couple minutes yet. Um, so you mentioned some of the things that that people can look forward to in the book, but for each one of you, is there something in particular about the book that that was special or important to you? Uh, was it the, the history, the artwork, the story being told? Is there something that you that you're spe specifically fond of or proud of when it comes to this book? I always I mean, go for it, John. I, I'm a bit of a history geek, so I kind of liked being able to go into where 5e kind of came from and what the conditions were that led to the process that kicked it off to this enormous playtest and to kind of what the influences were that steered it um, in the directions that it ended up going and why ultimately those ended up being cool things. I mean, for me, it's all the little things. It's all the details, right? Like I, I think it's cool to look at draft stuff where the concept of advantage in D&D, advantage and disadvantage, where you roll two D20s. Originally, it was just like a plus two or minus two bonus. Mm -hmm. And it's like all the little kind of things that you can incrementally watch take shape that led to the system that we have today that's been so successful. Like I, I, I personally kind of like being able to explore that and explain it a bit. Yeah. Okay. I, Excellent. I, I enjoy the fact that it's a little bit of a victory lap because you can't deny that something really unexpected has happened here. Because if you go back to even when we were doing Art and Arcana, um, <laughs> we were making this book, Art and Arcana, about the history of Dungeons and Dragons for the early, from the early 70s to modern day and there wasn't really a feel that i had of like oh rpgs are here to stay guys we're we're on the tip of something yeah. amazing here no 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 it was like this is an archaic thing that may be gone in a few years and you know i i would eat up independent rpgs and i would buy all this stuff i have this huge rpg collection and all this stuff behind me but but there was definitely a feeling of like I think I think this might be kind of on its way out, or it's going to find its it's going to settle and it's going to be in the niche that it's been in for decades, and it's going to stay there firmly because nothing else is going to let it escape. So, to our shock, D and D has broken out of that box, and it's everywhere now, and it's gotten to a point where you can say quite unironically and with no shame, "Oh yeah, no, no, I got my D and D game tonight," and people were like, "Oh yeah, yeah, okay, cool," rather than. Isn't that that weird board game that's Satan? You know, Satanic. <laughs> not about Satan. I don't, and, I don't and, know why it's the church lady right there, but that's right. Mm. Oh, that's as a fan, as a fan, it's like John's stuff too. I love reading John's stuff. What he what he uncovers and brings to the table. His, you're always learning something. That's why it's so great to work with people like Sam, Michael, and John. They all bring something new, and you're learning as you're working on the book. Like I'm, I'm always every time we we pass it through layers and stuff. We're always discovering and john is always like unveiling something mind-blowing and i think that but, but you're watching something that sam said has been around for a long time that finally has come into its own it was like an awkward teenager yeah. that's finally yeah. like you know what i'm in college i found my stride i am who i am and accepted who it was it's not trying to be 
video games like fourth edition it's not like trying to fight against its parents like it was in the early days and reject their its origins or borrow too much you know like early days it had like the posters on the wall of everyone it idolized you know lord of the rings was still like mm -hmm. what it loved now it's its own thing it's its yeah. own art form and fifth edition it hits stride and then you're watching pop culture hold a mirror back to it and go oh we love you and we took something from you because you've seen video games and yeah. and uh, board games and all these other things have taken influence from it. And you're watching storytellers like reaching out to people like Vince Vaughn and Craig Mazin and Ming Na Wen and Jim Lee who runs DC Comics. Like all these people that have been touched and influenced by Dungeons and Dragons are then able to to point back the, its potency. Like Dan and Dave from Game of Thrones, you know, contribute quotes, and you're like. All these people have very interesting perspectives on how it shaped them as showrunners, storytellers. And that's where we're at in 5e, where it's it, it's moved on enough from you know its inception where there's generations of people that have been influenced. So watching that stuff rise to the surface and then being being able to kind of curate the story, I think was cool. And then I did love you mentioned that SpongeBob picture. That was one of the things I like because I'm like, this is so ridiculous that SpongeBob has a player's handbook cover and it's a reference to this and if you know you know and, but it's spongebob and it's just so out there. i loved it when it was like touching on these outlandish mm -hmm. other ips and they were commenting on D, &D and you're like okay this is how you know it's made it from futurama to you know whether it's you know it was on ghosts and all these different shows it's like D, D has made it because everyone wants to talk about it and i think that's what was cool to aggregate all that i mean who, who talks about it in the forward of this book Tom Morello. Yeah, it's yeah. Tom I was gonna, Morello. I was yeah. gonna, I was gonna ask you about that because, um, yeah, uh, <laughs> huge Rage fan, and uh, anything that Tom Morello does with a guitar is, as far as I'm concerned, is just the shade of genius. And so I was like, holy crap! How, okay, so how did that happen? How did Tom Morello come to be the one to write the foreword in your book? I, I texted him and said, dude, do you want to do it? And then literally, within two minutes, he responded and was like, yes. And then the next day, I think he, hours later, he already sent it. He was like, oh my God, yes, I have to do this. I'm doing this. Like, Isn't he's that a extraordinary that that's where, that's where, because there, there is a time where you reach out to, to someone like Tom Morello and you don't get such an, un, un, uh, you don't get such an enthusiastic yes or a quick yes. And these days it's just a different thing we never would have guessed we would have been here never never yeah, it'd be like does it make me look uncool if i say i'm into dnd we're past yeah. that those stigmas have been shed and which i've got That's people awesome. like tom morello now are public champions for it and tom you know um brilliant guy ivy league self-taught guitar um he even talks you know when we talked about uh stuff like how he's played probably D&D &D more than guitar, you know, like it's, these are crazy, <laughs> crazy. things. So um, you're right. It's a, it's a very eclectic group of people that are now happy and open to talk about their, their love of D&D. It's very fun. I One do of the love things I've... Like you guys ahead, said, it's, it's a, it's coming to its own. It's a teenager that's no longer fighting against its parents, but there is that sort of that Renaissance that's happened with it too, of the, all of the people who were like, I wanted to play this when I was younger and I couldn't, Hey, I'm going to play it now because I'm an adult and I don't have to listen to my parents saying, "No, there's demons in that. You can't play that." Sorry, Mom, that, was, yeah, that was a real obstacle, guys. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, I was I was there uh, when my entire D and D collection was disposed of because it was the devil. You know, that sucked. 
especially since since what we were doing um, was something that was so socially good for us. You know, I shared this story um, on a Twitch stream recently because my brother was on with me, and and I'll share it here. Um, we had a, a grandfather that lived with us, and he uh, was like a third parent to us. And when I first day of sixth grade for me, first day of third grade for my little brother, um, he died. And we were oh, wow. shocked and we were absolutely not ready for that. And my and I remember having this sense of, well, I'm a lot older, so I, I somehow can handle this. But what about my little brother? How is he doing? Which was just, you know, I was sixth grade. Like I, I was devastated. Typical as well. older brother feeling though. Yeah. And I remember asking my little brother, Michael, what do you want to do? What do you, you know, how, you know, and we were in my bedroom. What do you want to do? He said, and he, he through tears said, I want to play D and D. And I'm like, are, I remember asking, are you sure? And he says, I want to play D and D. So we invited the rest of the group over and we all played D and D in our, our bedroom. And, and we were able to escape while we were emotionally processing what happened mm -hmm. in our family. And it wasn't going to make it go away, but it was going to help us through this. And it kind of sucks that with that, we felt like, well, we're, are we sort of dishonoring our grandfather? Are we doing something really bad right now? As, as if, as if my brother said, you know, I want to do drugs or something, you know, like, no, we were doing something really socially valuable to us as people and learning how to get along, learning how to be friends with each other, learning how to work together and all these things that, that role-playing games are good at teaching younger mm -hmm. people. And yet all of the adults back in the day were just trying to throw monkey wrenches into it as much as they could. You know, it's very weird yeah. that, you know, yeah. well, that, that's a game for nerdy losers who don't have any friends, but you have to have friends. You have yeah. to have a social life to play this game. Yeah. Build that community to be able to communicate your thoughts and your feelings to other people. Mm -hmm. I feel like it, yeah. it teaches so many basic communication skills and so many basic group building skills. Like we've, we've got a five-year-old daughter and we've started playing um, it's called hero kids with her. So it's, it's the kids version of D and D where it's, it's a much simpler math because they're little, but just watching the problem solving from this five-year-old with the, well, mm -hmm. you, your friend fell down a hole. How are you going to get them out? Well, do I have a rope in my backpack? Yeah, you have a rope in your backpack. How are you going to make this work? Like watching that and realizing that that is so fundamental to to D and D to RPGs in general is you have to know how to work as a group. And I feel that that's something that so many adults need to know. And our parents were like, "No, you don't need to play these games." But they taught us how to be people. <laughs> How dare you suggest critical thinking skills? <laughs> you know, that's that's the thing that's going on right now. You're seeing D&D being used in classrooms. You're seeing it being used in therapy. It's uh, mm -hmm. infiltrated prisons and it gives people sanity. Uh, I'm working on a documentary as co-director on the history of Dungeons and Dragons for Hasbro and E1. John is also producing it. Um, and there's interviewed gang people talk to people uh, all walks of life that play this thing and how it was uh, a savior for them you know even tanahishi coates talks about you know he learned about the transformative power of words with his brother like sitting on the floor in his bedroom in, in you know baltimore um like some people get that from novels you know and he got that from dungeons and dragons and he goes and becomes award-winning author and so it's it's transportive it's transformative and it's 
used in all these different ways where like a young shy person maybe can't get out of their head or their themselves but then they suddenly they're a wizard or a barbarian and they can open their mouth and they can try things and express things and then get comfortable with being themselves be a proxy a fantasy proxy so that's now people that those the fears are stripped away and now people can look at it and go oh wow these are very unique things that didn't exist before Beautiful. 1974. um john wrote um another book the elusive shift which really traces the origins of role playing and the terminology of role playing but this is all these are really new concepts that had never been collected in this way in, in a cohesive way and, and it is like it is a new art form and um that's i think we're still seeing what what it can be but like you see video games trying to do rpgs you're talking about final fantasy and you talk about all these other things and now it's become you know prevalent accepted and i think we're only seeing the beginning of of what it could be especially as virtual reality and gaming evolves and you the principles of DD not being applied to it now you can you can actually bring more role playing to a video game it's less um you're not less being railroaded you know more open world stuff and um Cause, cause, i mean well there's p3 is anybody else here play this anybody oh my god yeah playing pg3 like yep, the degree absolutely. to which that is not railroaded, the degree to which you can oh attack my. like any situation through 15 different possible attacks. We're mm -hmm. seeing this, but this, I'm telling you, man, it's 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 giving the tabletop experience one of the first runs for the money that I've seen. Well, you know, with Baldur's Gate, the, the thing with that they really nailed with Baldur's Gate Three is that sense of experimentation. You know, um, I mean, you, you just said that in, in so many words, but basically, yeah, that's that sense of i'm gonna try stuff do you think this might work oh oh my god it, something's happening you know like it's it's really um well done well done for them from yeah. from my point of view of playing for several like playing D D for several years and playing other like rpg like video games before this is the first one that actually just feels like i'm playing D. &D. this is yeah. the one where i'm like i'm they also like hoping so hard to to beat the dc of a persuasion check or yes hope that i have a a magic item i could feed gale so he doesn't leave my party well that's the other thing is that they f <laughs> right yeah he's, eating he's gonna explode i hear is yeah. he, does, does he explode I, I haven't seen him explode right. the, um but the um the the fact that they put the um the mechanics of D D front and center and that there are these dice rolls and you see what your modifiers are and you see what this uh, you, you know what i mean like it's a good job of explaining how that all works so i would imagine it's it's doing a good thing in terms of drawing people toward the game because it's teaching the game mm -hmm. you know well so. and it's teaching mechanics and you know yeah. 5e mechanics if you don't know the difference between action and a bonus action and reaction and things like mm -hmm. that you will not be able to escape Baldur's gate 3 without learning exactly how all those things work and right. Right. this feeds back yeah. to another point i think we make in lore and legends that you know Part of the reason why D&D has become accessible today is because a generation grew up with video games. It's true that taught you things like there's hit points, there's experience points, there are right. levels. And like those used to be a barrier to entry. Like back in the 80s, those were new ideas. And like you had to, you, you cannot grow up today. Uh, no, no matter how sheltered, if you have access to electronic devices, you understand what experience and levels and hit points and things like that are. And like that, that is one of many factors I think that has helped, in fact, the tabletop renaissance happen.
Which, you know, like, John, we had conversations early in the Art and Arcana days where we were like, Isn't it, doesn't it kind of suck that D&D mechanics are everywhere, but no one really understands it's from D&D, and they never really will understand that it's from D&D. No one's going to get how how influential this this little game that that they you know that they made in Lake Geneva, Wisconsin, and handmade these boxes and sent them out. No one's going to understand how transformative that was to society. They're never really going to get it, are they? Well, unless, and now here we are, like, oh, I guess they get it. <laughs> unless we read a book that <laughs> explains book. to people how right. influential. Yes, that was sort of one of our one of our the things we were trying to accomplish. Exactly, and we it is, to... and it thread a needle. That's what that's what we really you know talk about too. Is that I think if this came a little earlier. It might not have worked in the 70s and it came a little later and had to compete with the, the video game explosion that started to happen in the later 70s and early 80s. You know, it hit in the right 10 year window and some of it was because of, you know, Lord of the Rings and fantasy renaissance. But um, it was I like, also, you know, built upon wargaming and that I was, yeah, so it's away. unique. I want to point out that, that and again, this is neither here nor there. This is just a random observation. But me and my group have been playing uh, Mold Bay Edition 1981 Basic D and D for years now. We started during the pandemic. We're like, hey, I want to do something kind of dumb. That's it's just not going to work very well because it's an old, outmoded version of D and D. And they didn't know what they were doing back then, and they were just kind of going with what Gary said, even though Gary was a visionary. But like, he was just kind of skin of his teeth, seat of his pants, all this stuff. Turns out <laughs> those early versions of D&D are incredibly distinctive and interesting. Like mm -hmm. you think the things are all arbitrary in the way that the whole game works and it's and you start realizing, oh, no, it's not like this is very deliberate the way that this game is laid out and it hit a sweet spot. Like the original editions of the game, the basic D&D, Advanced Dungeons and Dragons, they really, really, really hit a sweet spot. Um, so I, you know, another thing about fifth edition is, I'm glad that they have some respect for what came before because, you know, fourth edition didn't necessarily respect. Uh, uh, I'm trying to figure out the right thing to say, Jerry. I'm looking at John's face. What's your stuff. It, it respected. It, you know, it, mistakes were made, but okay. it was not from a position of dis. That's that's I guess. Sure. Right. Right. Okay. Gotcha. Point. Thank you for would... for saving me from that. I would put it yeah. as they were trying something new and it didn't work. Yeah. I I played one game of fourth edition years before fifth. And it was my first time playing. I've wanted to play D&D &D my entire life. I got maybe an hour into the session. I'm like, I don't know what's happening. And <laughs> it is just bad. Granted, that's mostly because the dungeon master also didn't know what they were doing. He didn't wave his hands around enough. He could not it get your attention. Didn't do this enough. No. Um, but <laughs> then I finally let myself play D&D 5th edition later. Mm -hmm. I love how 5th edition can get complicated, but there's literally no barrier to entry aside from being able to read or even having someone read it to you. Right. Aside from that, Everything is very clear-cut. It's very simplified, but you can make it complex if you want. And that's that's been it. Like, 5th edition has been my D&D. &D. It's been so great. Our local game store is actually starting Sunday, 
Yeah, Sunday. Starting Sunday, they're doing an ABCs of D&D just with the, hey, pay 10 bucks for a table fee. We will provide a GM. They will walk you through character creation. They will show you how this is done. You want to learn how to play cool. D&D? Come learn how to play D&D. And then after that, they're starting another group for more advanced players, just for same concept with the bring your character. We've got a we've got a dungeon master. We've got a story. Come play with us. And it's like this is great. This store opened what six months ago? Yeah, it's awesome. And maybe like, one it's really day. cool to have a, a, a literal brick and mortar game store within walking distance of my house. That's pretty great. That's awesome. They've taken so much of their money. <laughs> well, okay, so when you when you take the five year old in and she comes home with you, mom, I got you a present, and I'm like, oh, cool, what is it? And and it's it's Zelda, and it's a little amiibo, and I'm like, I love you, I love that you found that for me. And then she goes, Dad bought me Legos. I'm like, oh boy, it, it's just being a good dad. Do you, you know, I oh, sorry, Tim, go ahead. No, you're fine. I was just saying, I I wish is you know one of the things that I've enjoyed most about doing this podcast is 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 having people come on the show and. And helping expose me to things that I wasn't familiar with or and helping my knowledge of certain things grow over time. I wish that I could go back and redo a couple of our early interviews that we had done. Uh, our very first interview was with uh, a gentleman named Guy Sklanders, who runs a fantastic YouTube page called How to Be a Great GM. And uh, we had him on and it, he might have well, well have been talking in hieroglyphics to me because at that point I knew absolutely zero about uh, about D and D and role playing games, other than you know what some of the stuff that Sam mentioned earlier with the Satanic Panic and stuff like that. I was just like, oh, that's that Devil game, yeah, okay. Um, so I wish I could go back and, and understand that a little bit more and have a better perspective on that conversation than what I had then. And then we also interviewed uh, James L. Ward, who was also known as Dramage uh, from Gary uh, Gygax, and and I, and again, he came on the show, and it was just like you know. I was lost with half of what he was saying. And so that's one of the things I have really enjoyed about, about this, this journey going through podcasts. Now I'm not anywhere claiming that I'm a RPG master or anything over here, uh, but I do enjoy the game and I'm, I'm, I'm wanting to learn how to play other versions other than just the star Wars version that I've played because I've enjoyed this one. So in my mind, well, if I'm enjoying this one, I'm, I'm going to enjoy this one over here. Okay. And then let's try that other one too. And, you know, cause now that opens me up to to more people to play with, so why not? So, I have so many games that I want to throw your way that I have. <laughs> well, that's the wonderful thing, right? The other thing, the other thing is, is the rising tide does something awesome or whatever it is. And the fact is, is that Dungeons <laughs> Dragons becoming mainstream. I mean, the the, the wealth of rpgs that are coming out and the things that people are experimenting with it's just kind of amazing i mean you know playing the I, yeah i've i've there's so many interesting mechanics that i have read and or played with in the past few years i never would have thought that there would be enough um muscle in the rpg space and enough interest to where you get all these incredible games so it's that rising tide that does good stuff. It lifts all ships. Good stuff. Yeah. It lifts, yeah. lifts it up. It, it's also just an absolute wildfire because once someone gets the D&D bug, they're going to mm -hmm. spread it. Their passion will spread it to other people. I remember my first time playing D&D as a dungeon master. I bought the starter set. I had the Mines of Fendelver 
pamphlet. It's not even a book. It's like 30 pages. I spent three hours with my group building their characters. The next day, I planned for maybe four hours of content. We played for 12 hours straight. Whoa. Left, slept for eight hours, and came back and played for another 12 hours. Yeah. It was insane. I literally built a WWE like wrestling ring for them out of cardboard, pencils, and shoelace. I spent days hand like transferring the little maps you have in the pamphlet onto big gridded uh, like poster paper because I didn't have a means of printing out that big of a map to put the minis on it. And that sparked both my wife and my little brother running their own games. My little brother, I'm now playing a character in his D&D game that he spent years planning and I'm I am so excited about my character. I'm so happy. And then with my wife, he started playing another RPG called Goat Crashers, which is so funny. It's a D6 system and it's just you get to be a goat. And you're crashing a party. That's the whole plan. Goat I need to play that. I I can see if Mimi can run it for you guys. Um, and no matter how people feel about D and D, like D and D has opened the floodgates, so people are now okay with playing a role playing game. And then you can go play games like the Goat Game, or you can go mm -hmm. play Star Wars role playing game. I mean, I my entry point was my older brothers played D and D, um, but I didn't. I. I did a little bit, but I really got into it because of the old Star Wars West End game. And then I got into GURPS and Ninja mm -hmm. Turtles and played D&D. So it wasn't just D&D, but D&D was the, the one that broke. It was the gateway drug. Here. It was, and even, yeah, yeah it's, the it's the same thing. Now people yeah. try, dabble a little bit in D&D. You know what? I want to try this. Or, I didn't know that you could do this. Or it, it's, it lets people in and realize, okay, this is a, it's a, a thing I can do and I'm okay with it. Now, which is the system, which is the, the, the themes or the stylings that are right for me, or you might try all different ones. And and that, that's, what's great about it, no how you feel about D and D. I just think five E is, is exquisite. It's easy entry point for people. It's streamlined in such a nice way where it, it you, you get past that barrier and suddenly the world feels like it opens up to you. You're like, Oh, I can do this. Fendelver is, I mean, that's a religious experience playing that box set. You take people through that, and I know they just put out Shattered Obelisk, which is like, you know, further exploring it. And if you haven't played, that's probably, I would say, to pick up that. Uh, play through the beginning because you're getting the Fandelver starter set, but you're also getting more. Because um, after that, we're like, now what? You know, and you kind of have to, like, pick up and go somewhere else after level, level five. But now with that book, which just came out in September, you can just play. You can keep going. Um so that's my recommendation if you're just getting into it. It is it's the starter set and more and it's freaking awesome. I wonder All if right, I cool. can get my old party back together to continue the story. That's a thing I'm looking to. Worth a try. Should. And cook food right. from Heroes Beast. Oh I, I <laughs> yes. Uh one of the things I did uh for many of my games is prior to the pandemic when people would actually be able to come over. I would literally make a whole meal for them. Snacks, drinks, a main course and everything. So when Heroes Feast came out, that was the first thing I did was I made like six things out of the book and I'm like, hey, we're playing D&D. &D. Come over. I have food. 
Amazing. That's so good. I need that book because I've done the we've done food out of the Skyrim cookbook mm, for D and D, and that was a lot of fun too. I mean, you need to go have... full D and D. You will love it. Um, it's we really with the cookbooks. Uh, we really tried to go for in world lore um, <laughs> as much as we can. Think of what's really techniques and ingredients that are readily available to that particular mm -hmm. peoples, uh, and also regionally. Would they have access to it? You know, there's just you know you put in the basic parameters. You know, like this this these peoples live underground. They're not going to have livestock. They're not going to have this type of vegetation. They're going to, you know, operate off this and this and, and really build the larders out like that. And then, you know, research it based on, it's almost like um, you're researching fiction, you know, you're going into these old novels, comics, you know, setting guides, modules, and you're really pulling out, you know, random information. Maybe an author just threw a name out there, like a random dish at a table, you know, in, a, in an inn or something. And then you're trying to make it real, you know? And I think that that was the fun of it. It's like giving it expanded history. And there'd been stuff before and like the the leaves from the end of the last home and books like that regarding Dragonlance. And there was some FR stuff prior, you know, Ed Greenwood, you know, who brainstormed and dreamed up the Forgotten Realms, put out some stuff and talked about it. You know, it's really like picking up where those guys, those, um, you know, legends kind of started and, and and then expanding it out. So it could be immersive because what we crave as D&D players, what you crave as an RPG player is immersion. You want to take your two-dimensional experience, make it three or four-dimensional. And if you can add and activate other senses, that's why now more than ever, you're seeing people use sounds and scents um to yeah and now we're using you know tastes at the table so if you're at an elven you're in the feywild you know the new book is taking the shadowfell feywild is taking you to the rock of brawl and spelljammer yeah you know you're getting all these locales and then you can have food that's germane to that to then contribute to the story you know so that that's what i think is great it's not just like it's a gimmick we're like this is a way to add that that dimension that people crave at their table beyond Mountain Dew and Cheetos, it's like mm -hmm. you're gonna have like something that elves would really eat at a feast. I feel like this is a dangerous thing for me though. No, no, this is well, I don't know. With with what my characters have done in the past, I don't know if this is safe or not. <sighs> okay, yeah. I had a I had a gnome character who um oh I love this character so much. She found a dead half elf. Oh no. And turned it into jerky. Oh no. To feed to the paladin. Why, why the paladin? Because war crimes. Like, I would just randomly offer the paladin character jerky and never told him where it was from. He's watching now, he knows. Yeah. But that was like he, four years ago, it's fine. One day he finds he has lost his powers and his favor with his god, and he wants to know why. Right? And this is how Lord Soth was born. Why have I fallen? <laughs> well, I mean, that was also before he got blown up. So he got too close to fireball. <laughs> things happened. It does happen. Uh, it does happen. Now, John or Tim, I don't know if you can bring up a comment that came up a while ago. It was uh, talking about the taverns on TikTok. Mm -hmm. Those yeah, this been, one here. Yeah, those have been amazing. Because some of them have used recipes from Heroes Feast to make stuff for their channels. Things like uh, Quincy's Tavern. Absolutely amazing. Because it's... Every D&D &D adventure starts with y'all meet in a tavern. Mm -hmm. 
So having that tavern experience brought to you or showed how to make certain things, I just love it. It's so great that people wanted to bring like LARP and D&D into a more cozy setting. It's not all plate mail and massive swords and shields. It's there's got to be a guy behind the bar. There's got to right. be an elf, an orc, a gelatinous cube behind the bar <laughs> serving people. Yay, I'm behind the bar. Okay. <laughs> All right. There's uh, also another comment on YouTube um, from Anna about why I fed the paladin jerky. Because he deserved, he deserved it. it. Yeah, I put it up on the screen. Showed there it. you go. I did, I did the thing. I did it again. There it is again. All right, so... Uh, <laughs> Just as some uh, some parting thoughts here, guys. Uh, we had one final question for you before we start wrapping this up. Uh, see if I can go find it. Uh, this is also from Anna. She said earlier, Kyle mentioned curating in the information. Did any of y'all's personal experiences or stories end up in the book? Oh, I got one because I actually, when they did the big playtest for uh, fifth edition, which is called D and D Next, I played in it. And so actually one of my character sheets from D&D Next that I kept from like 2013 uh, appears in the book. That's cool. Yeah. That's I think cool. for us, yeah, that was great to feature John's actual sheet. You know, it's cool when things like that happen. Um, some some of our photos did end up in there, things we took going to events or experiences. I know both books. Mm -hmm. um, it's more about, you know, I played a lot of the adventures and I would be like, get a feel of it. And then what you try to do is it's not me, nothing from me, but it's how I felt about it coming through in the way you try to look at what they were trying to do. Or I would, by the, by the images we curated, I would go, oh, these these moments really stick out for me. It's like if I was playing Icewind Dale, um, it's like I know what creatures I responded to or what adversaries. And then we would try to curate those things. in. It's not like us, but it's how we... Um, how we experience them. And then we only have four or five pages to maybe showcase the book. So we would want to try to profile the things that we, we resonated with. And I think interviewing the creators or reading interviews with the creators, finding out like, you know, the woman who was working on Strixhaven was like so heavily influenced by um, John Hughes films. And, things like that. and then you, you find out the interesting people that bring the games to life. And you try to tell their stories. Um, it's, it's less about us though. It's more about, is great all these stewards in charge of the game now how unique all the unique voices coming to life all the different types of people that are writing it from different backgrounds you're seeing that manifested in the types of adventures they're doing the explosion of, of settings um just the cultural touch points that that are there that are beyond just like traditional euro which you used to where it started from um I think that's that's really interesting. So it's trying to we're just trying to showcase that. Make a yearbook for everyone that's touched this game, or played this game, or is interested in the game to see what's what it's really about. And I think that's what it's. It's really there's a lot. It's a lot going on. It's not just like a story. You're gonna go. Oh, I know the story. Even if you played it. Even if you think you've been following it, you're gonna learn something. I think your mind will be blown by some of the images you see. You're like what was that? Because we're showing native art, we're showing concept art, we're showing products in ways you haven't seen them before and telling behind the scenes stories and all of that collected you go, whoa, this is like, this is a legit phenomenon. That's very cool. All right. 
now, at the beginning of the show, uh, you had mentioned that uh, what was coming next. It, would you mind repeating that just for anybody who maybe wasn't here at the beginning and is catching up now? And then and then we'll start wrapping up. November 7th is Heroes Feast Flavors of the Multiverse. That is the sequel to our New York Times bestselling Heroes Feast book. Also scheduled for November is the debut of the Heroes Feast television cooking show um, coming from the people who make D&D. Uh, November 28th is Lore and Legends Special Edition. You can pre-order it now. It is exquisite. It is heavy. And as Sam always mentions, you can kill someone with it. It is so big and beautiful. It is, really uh, it is a brick of a book. Um, we also, you know, uh, there's the Barnes & Noble version of both Lore and Legends and Heroes Feast Flavors of the Multiverse. We are going to be doing um, details coming soon, but we're going to be doing an event at Geeky Tees in Los Angeles. And Sam, myself, and Michael Whitworth, Sam's brother, will be there signing books, doing a little Q&A. Uh, we're trying to schedule one or two more other things for Los Angeles. John is going to be in uh, Game Hole Con this weekend, correct, John? That's true. And you can get you John and Michael to sign your Max, books. Wisconsin. Yeah, I will be there. Um, so there's opportunities to meet us, talk to us. We love the D&D conversation. Um, we have more in the works beyond this, too. And, you know, I mentioned, too, there's a D&D, you know, history of documentary celebrating the 50-year anniversary of the brand. That'll be coming next year. Um, more details on that soon. But there's, you know, we, we love D&D, so we're always happy to play in this world and share the stories and pick up John's other books if you... If you have it, if you love this stuff, you your mind will yeah, be If you blocked. really love it, like it's, 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 these don't work with the sound off. I read them all like twice. They're great. IT press great books that are thick and dense and to, yeah. I've I've fair, really enjoyed them. So yeah, yeah. To be fair, I did like I I go through everyone's information to make sure I know what I'm talking about with everything you all do, and I looked up you and I realized. I have a lot of your books on my to read list. So it's best to keep them there, really. You know, my local library has two of your books that I'm going to try okay. and get out. They're currently Hopefully. held by someone else, but once they're free hostage, again. Yes. Yeah. But they're held hostage in Juneau, Alaska. That's yeah, right. I know. There's like one library, okay? For like the entire state or like. <laughs> for, the, for the entirety of the city it's the, the population of the place i'm in is just a smidge higher than my hometown in new york so a, a capital city is like this much bigger uh it's also alaska yeah. all right so sam is on clearly needs to attend to his dogs at this point so yeah. they yeah, just they're like they, yeah the dogs are like dude you said it was gonna be an hour what's the problem yeah, 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 we're wrapping up. So thank, thank you, Sam. We can't, we can't ignore Sam. We need. I know puppies. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's all Look good. at they, that they, face, though. It's hilarious. They will. They literally. They they had this really uncanny timing. And when when I have been here longer than they expect, they're like, "Dude, time to move this into the living room. Come on, let's go." Yeah, let's go. Can, on, can let's we do a quick like go. little intro of the puppies though? We need we need to know the puppies. Sure. That's I did. Right there. We showed up in my backyard um, two months after I moved into this house. This is, do you see Buster? Buster? Yes. In the way. Buster, can you can you come over here? Buster, come over here. This is Walter. Walter. At, at uh, 
Best Met him at uh, Dodger Stadium. Basically, he's wandering around uh, Elysian Park. Can you turn? Good turn, he said. Oh. Buster. And then this is Buster. The sweetest. He's the emotional support animal of the three. He's a very sweet pimple. Oh. I love them all so much. Good like Fantastic. I, I feel, though, that Leonard is judging us. Yes, you yeah. have. We're getting a look. More than likely. All right. Well, let's... let's uh, We'll let uh, we will wrap it up. So that let's wrap this up, guys. Um, there's no Sam needs to get back to the cuddle pile. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. All right. So down in the show notes down below, you'll find a link to Lauren Legends to the Amazon store. We've included that for you guys, and hopefully some guys will. Uh, if you're at all interested in this and you've you've been paying attention to this, go click that link, and you'll we'll also have opportunity from that link to pre-order. Uh, through Amazon, uh, the the November 28th special edition release. That's all over Amazon, and that looks amazing. So if you haven't done that already, please click the link. Go check that out. We also have links to each one of their social medias down in the show notes down below, so you guys can follow them on Twitter, X, or whatever you're choosing to call the Dead Bird app uh, these days. And, uh, yeah, so that's down there as well. And then uh, Kathleen, take it away. All righty. Well, last Friday, we aired our interview with Gordon Wolvet. You'll likely best know Gordon from his time oh, on Gene Roddenberry's. No, <laughs> Mike Chen! No, I love that, that guy. That's the wrong one. That's How Mike Chen. That? How about uh, someone may not have <clears throat> me <clears throat> updated the notes? Uh, Good yeah, job, so... Tim. I'm just reading that my one's still there, though. <laughs> yeah, you can still Wait, go listen to Gordon. Last week, we, inter we <laughs> released our interview with Mike Chen that I would tell you more about if I remembered any of it, but I have... Uh, he's a podcast. wonderful, wonderful author. He started off yeah, as a San Jose Sharks beat writer. He loves hockey, loves dogs. He had a corgi. He's a corgi dad like me. And uh, yeah, he's written for Star Trek and Star Wars. Both wonderful author. Go check him out. And he's totally not Gordon Wolvet. Totally not Gordon Wolvet. No. But there no, was an interview with Gordon Wolvet. Yes. <laughs> that Episode happened before, by chance. Then it's oh, Ben's turn. Okay, we're all out of place here. All right, hang on. Uh, Blame you, can, you can find this episode, that episode, and many others on our YouTube channel and your favorite audio podcast providers. Uh, and remember, good pods. <laughs> especially good pods. And remember, your subscription to our YouTube channel is a major help. So please don't forget to check that out. Like, subscribe, comment, uh, and check us out on Patreon as well. So that's right. And then coming up this Friday, we do have our interview with Brendan Wayne, Brandon one of the men. Uh, that's right, underneath the one of the men under the suit on the show that's highlighted there on the screen. We talk with Brendan about his career, but not show specific because he is still striking. But we did talk to him about uh, the legacy that his grandfather John Wayne left behind and the weight of trying to carry that legacy, but also creating his own uh, legacy as well at the same time. And, uh, but if you don't want to wait till Friday, you can of course go to our Patreon channel link in show notes down below, and you can check out uh, that conversation. We have a really uh, good one with him, but you can check out that conversation probably tomorrow on our, on our Patreon channel and uh, possibly Wednesday, but more than likely tomorrow. And uh, but yeah, you can check that out there with early access for only three whole George Washingtons a month. You can be checking those things out early. So anyway, uh, a big thank you to Sam, to John, to Kyle. Thank you guys so much for coming and spending some time with us. This was a lot of fun. And uh, yeah. And thank you to everyone who participated with comments and things in the notes down below. So on that, we will say uh, goodbye. Goodbye.
Bye. On behalf of the rest of the hosts of the FSF podcast, we want to thank you for listening to this episode. If you'd like to be a guest on a future episode, please contact us by means of Twitter or Instagram using the handle at FSF Podcast or go to www.fsfpodcast.com and click on the contact link. Thanks again and hope you enjoyed the episode. Thank <laughs> you.